Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. We have a special edition with Bishop Athanasius Snyder, the author of two books that we are promoting on the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass and the Springtime that Never Came. Bishop Snyder, thank you for taking time to share the gospel with our listeners. You're welcome. God bless you. Oh, he's blessing me. If I could describe you, Bishop Snyder, I would describe you of saying that, <clears throat> that two things. One, that you speak the truth in charity, but that you've made it clear that we should never worry about who will be offended if we speak the truth of the gospel. You, you portray this by the way you live. He, you, your point is, worry about who will be misled, deceived, if you don't. And I, I think that that is so important today because so many of the shepherds, and I'm, I'm not trying to be critical, but objective here, uh, you know, I, I interview Bishop Strickland every week, and he speaks so clearly. We need our shepherds to, cle to be more concerned about uh, the truth and not being worried about who we're going to offend. And you do just that. So I thank you for that commitment and your love for Christ and the church. So Bis Bishop Snyder, your books, I've been promoting the Catholic Mass, and I just want to remind everybody, it's on our website. I'm going to a men's conference today. I'm getting all these books distributed Men and women have buying them at the places I'm at. They go, wow, this is such a great book on the Mass. And then, of course, today we're going to talk about your next book, The Springtime That Never Came. And it's Q&A questions that people want to have answers, clear answers. So I'd like to just refer, oh, well, before I get into the book, I wanted to give you some news uh, that happened just uh, this past week. And it's Tied into us because Shia LaBeouf, he stunned the world. He is playing the role of Padre Pio in a movie. This is a, uh, a movie star who's living, who had lived a life like St. Augustine, I'll just say. Wine, women, and song. And as he studied the life of St. Padre Pio and went to the traditional Latin Mass uh, with the Christ the King Institute, which I really uh, think they're a wonderful group, the priests are powerful preachers, I might add, too, so look those people up. But it converted him to the Catholic faith. A love, his, uh, love, he saw the beauty of the Mass in a way that he had never seen before. And so I just wanted to ask you, Bishop Snyder, first of all, were you aware of this? And second of all, have you seen this happen to others? Um, yes. Uh, first, we have to thank the Lord for this great grace which he gave to this man, mm -hmm. the actor who played Padre Pio. Yes. And this is a demonstration, a further demonstration of the truth that the beauty, the sacredness of the traditional mass really attracts people and touches them in the depth of their heart. So it is a language of the church uh, the traditional mass with all the prayers and gestures which were which is an official prayer of the church it is not a personal mm. performance of a priest but this will not attract people this is only a superficial effect but this language of the church of the traditional rite which is a prayer more than one millennium at least old, not only 50 years or 100 years or 400 years. It is a right 
which is documented in, in documents at least thousand years in the same form, the same gestures, the same prayers, so uh, sanctified, and therefore it is the, the, a power. I don't know a person who is was converted and attracted simply by the Novus Ordo Mass in vernacular and versus they versus populum and so on. Mm-hmm. Because this is a, a fact which is now confirming ever more. I would like that this Mr. Shia Leboeuf yeah. would visit Pope Francis and speak with him. In- Yeah, we'll get a connection back. We're just having a little short. We're backing it. So you would like to have him actually uh, share his testimony with the Holy Father to maybe show the Holy Father that, um, you know, this is something that is really sacred to a point where it's touched people's souls. And why would we want to limit that? I think I'm putting words in your mouth, but go ahead. I think we're back. Yes, this I would like that Pope Francis would listen to him. Mm-hmm and to others, and again, to to stop the discrimination of the traditional Mass, which Pope Francis started last year with the documentary the Sonus Custodis. It's a great injustice yeah. uh, which he is committing. And now these are um, counter-approval uh, uh, testimonies against this persecution of the traditional right. But I think the more it is persecuted, the traditional mass, the more God will give power, spiritual power of conversion through this mass. God will show his power in spite of the clerical persecutions which now bishops and the Pope are um, doing against this uh, venerable millennium-old prayer of the Church. And recently, mm-hmm. there are so many witnesses, even of simple people. Recently, I was in a country in Europe, and there uh, a religious sister, for the first time in her life, assisted a traditional mass. It was a low mass. And after the mass, the priest asked her in my presence, Sister, uh, what were your impressions after you assisted the mass? She said, I never in my life assisted such a mess. And and she said, my impressions were three. Sacredness, silence, and beauty. This she perceived. This was the language of this mass. Wow, that reminds me of Cardinal Seurat saying, silence strengthens our weakness. It arms us in patience. It restores our courage. Silence is the language of love. Nothing in the world is more important than the silence of God. And so, boy, what that sister said is powerful. I want to get another quote from Cardinal Seurat. He's one of my heroes, okay? I really, I read everything he publishes. And he said this, and it kind of sets the stage for your book, uh, The Springtime That Never Came. He said, I am afraid that we are tempted to build a human church according to the times and according to our ideas but the church is not ours. Your thoughts on that statement? Exactly. Uh, this is so true. And we have to to spread this truth, which Cardinal Sarah so boldly stated. 
And this is the issue today of the crisis of the church. It is not we, it is the Lord. We have to work for him and to glorify him Amen. in all our work. The church is only uh, the, the, the servant of the Lord. The church is the bride. The church is not the boss and the Pope. They are all servants of the one Lord and King Jesus Christ, who is the truth and the beauty and the sacredness himself. Wow. Wow. You remind me of the 1985 book by Cardinal Ratzinger, the Ratzinger Report, when he said just something similar to that. He said, the problem in the church is your ecclesiology. How do you see the church? And I see that even years later now, almost 30, 40 years later, some people see the church as the optimist club, you know, some club that can just vote on anything it wants to do. And, uh, but some people see it as the bride of Christ, which is what the church traditionally sees itself as. Well, Bishop, Strick, Bishop Snyder, I want to go right into uh, before the questions. I want one last question, then we get into your book. I mentioned something to you about uh, St. Ambrose, where he stood up to an emperor, Theodosius, in regard to receiving Holy Communion, because what was happening at that time, just for the benefit of everyone, there was the emperor who just agreed to let Christianity be approved in the area, but there were 8,000 men and women and children that were slaughtered with his approval, and St. Ambrose knew that. And this guy was wanting to come in, even though he was the emperor, he was like the president of the United States or something like that, big shot, but Ambrose stepped him, stopped him before he came into the church to uh, you know, come to Mass and receive communion. And he said, no, not until you repent of what you did. You're out. He wouldn't even let him in the church. Now, that was back in the 4th century. Sometimes I think those guys had more uh, guts than, uh, I mean, it seems like we're pretty weak now. But St. Ambrose got him to repent. He did like six months of public penance. He came back, the emperor, and was reunited with his Catholic faith and uh, died just a few years later in the state of grace. And I think, and I'm just going to give you my take, and I want your comment on it. If, if in fact, St. Ambrose didn't do that and let him in to the church to receive, knowing that he's a public sinner, seems to me that we wouldn't have a St. Ambrose, or the emperor would have never made it to heaven. So I want to know how this applies to us in the 21st century when people like President uh, Biden or Pelosi are coming into church to receive Holy Communion as public sinners, especially when they are hell-bent on killing unborn babies. All right, I want your thoughts. Yes, this is uh, an example which all the bishops and the popes uh, must imitate. And therefore, uh, St. Ambrose is one of the greatest uh, fathers of the church. He is uh, in the number of the four great uh, Latin fathers of the church, together with St. Augustine. I want to hear a little bit more about St. Ambrose, because you are an expert on the fathers of the church. I'm, I'm just a, an a, a amateur here, but I want to hear about that situation and much more when we come back on the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us, family. This is going to inspire you to fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ and his church. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Actually, it's Bishop Athanasius Snyder sitting in. We're having an interview about his book, The Springtime That Never Came. 
Bishop Snyder, you are an expert on the fathers of the church. I know the patristics you've studied, you've, you've taught that. You know, I'm talking to Noah about floods. And so share with us St. Ambrose and why he was one of the great fathers of our church. Yes, uh, St. Ambrose uh, belongs to the number of the four great Latin fathers of the church, mm -hmm. together with St. Uh, Augustine, yep. St. Jerome, and St. Gregory the Great. And the others are the four Eastern Greek uh, fathers of the church, St. Basil the Great, St. Gregory of Nazianz, St. Uh, Athanasius, of course, and St. John Chrysostom. So, St. Ambrose, his behavior towards the sinner, uh, the Emperor Theodosius, yes. uh, was a real pastoral act mm. of a deep pastoral concern. So recently we heard, we heard Pope Francis said when he was asked about the communion of Pelosi in Rome, he answered uh, a bishop or has to be pastoral. And so he did not say nothing more mm -hmm. and did not condemn these religious act, public act of the communion of Pelosi, of uh, Miss, Mrs. Pelosi. She is a known promoter and activist of the killing of unborn children, of mass killing. Yep. And also Biden, the president of the United States, the same. So it is a, and here a pope and a bishop have to imitate St. Ambrose. And this uh, St. Ambrose said to him, if he will not do this, he will be condemned by the Holy Scripture because the prophet Ezekiel said, if the priest will not admonish the sinner, the sinner will die in his sins and the priest also will be condemned by God. This is written in the prophet of Ezekiel and this St. Ambrose told uh, said to the, to the Emperor Theodosius, and then he asked him to do penance, and he asked him to accept uh, the penance That's which right. the bishop of the church imposes upon the sinner, not a penance which he himself will choose for himself. And so, and then uh, the emperor said, but uh, David, the king, was also a sinner. And then St. Ambrose said to him, yeah, yes, you imitated David in sin. You have to imitate David also <laughs> in penance, to do penance. Amen. And then uh, he accepted yes. uh, humility. And so St. Ambrose gave him a concrete prescription what to do, uh, to fast, to pray, and so on. Yes. He accepted this. And so with this highly pastoral action, which was, humanly speaking, severe yes. and strong and maybe not kind, but it was uh, a good medicine for the salvation, for the eternal salvation of the soul of Emperor Theodosius. Yes. And after the penance, Theodosius recognized that this was so uh, healthy, uh, spiritual healthy for him, and so Ambrose uh, made this so meritorious 
example for all the bishops for all times. I think we have to remind this today ever more to the bishops and to the Pope himself. Here we have a great example of one of the greatest bishops in the history of the church, one of the greatest uh, pastoral care, which he showed to all the, uh, his flock. And so he was not fearing the most powerful man of his time. This was the Emperor Theodosius the Great. <laughs> he was the most, em the most powerful man, the emperor of the Roman Empire. Yes. So he did not fear anyone. He Ambrose did fear God and God's judgment only. Wow, you've quoted Ezekiel. I want to give the exact quote. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade the wicked from their evil conduct in order to save their lives, then they shall die for their sin. But here's the cash value. But the Bible says, but I will hold you responsible for their blood. Uh, you know, uh, Bishop Snyder, I, I just have to say, wow, we need to be praying more and more for our bishops and our pope. And we do that, folks, every Thursday night because of our spirituality of the Opus Angelorum from 7 to 9. We're in front of the Blessed Sacrament praying for the pope, praying for the bishops, praying for people like Bishop Snyder, all of the successors of the apostles, priests, the clergy. Why? Because they need our prayers to do the right thing. Okay, well, Bishop Snyder, I'm going to get right into your book, page 92. According, and this is just a concern that I have as a layman, I read Amoris Laetitia when it came out, and I was mortified because of chapter 8, and it actually uh, shows that, you know, you can make an excuse from this document that, let's say I'm in a marriage and it's not working out well, and I say, oh, I'm going to find another woman because this woman has got all kinds of problems with me and I'm, I'm just not happy. And I can legitimately, through this document, which is not true, but um, decide to get married again and, and continue to live a sacramental life, even though my first wife, you know, the one I'm married to, is alive. And I, I know on page 92, uh, according to the logic of Amoris Laetitia, adultery is accepted in certain circumstances as morally acceptable. I'm as a layman, I counsel men who come to me with their marriage problems, and I'm going to be honest with you, this is an excuse for them to say, I'm out of here, rather than doing what the Bible says, the unbelieving husband is, is sanctified by the believing wife, and vice versa. So I want to understand what you were trying to say in page 92 of your book. Yes, it is the law of God, which no pope, no synod can change. Right. And the Lord said, what God had joined, no one can separate this bond of a true and a valid marriage. No one can separate. And um, the church must not do any sign to undermine the indissolubility of the uh, of the marriage bond, which God united, it is a work of God. We yes. cannot separate; it is not in our uh, power. And so, this language of Amoris Laetitia yeah. and the other document which the Pope wrote to the bishops in Buenos Aires, approving their norms, which uh, openly spoken allow uh, 
divorced and remarried people to go to Holy Communion, this is undermining in the praxis, it's a denial of the indissolubility of the marriage. And this is a very serious yeah. um, issue. And, and with this, the Pope opened a door to, to a lax praxis and to a further increasing of the culture of divorce. Yes. Because then the people say, okay, uh, it is difficult now and I can again remarry and then I will do something and then I can again go to Holy Communion. And the Holy Communion is the, the most solemn expression of the union with the Church, with her teaching and with Christ himself. But this is a lie. Divorced and remarried, going to Holy Communion, they are performing a public lie because their communion is not the, it's not the expression of the highest union with the Church in her teaching and with Christ himself, the bridegroom of the Church. So they are even desecrating not only their marriage bond, the indissoluble, but also the sacredness of the Holy Eucharist, because the Holy Eucharist is the union of Christ with her bride, the Church. The wedding feast of the Lamb is the Holy Holy Communion. And therefore, it is uh, twice here we see an attack on the sacredness of the indissolubility of marriage, of the sixth commandment of God, and an attack on the sacredness of the Holy Eucharist itself and on the meaning of the Eucharist as the wedding feast of the Lamb with every soul. And so we have to state this uh, set um, phenomenons which are, gave us this document of Amoris Letizia and the letter of the Pope to the bishops in Buenos Aires. And this was then published in officially in the Vatican. And the Vatican said that this answer of the Pope is a part of the ordinary magisterium. So it is wrong. We have to respectfully to protest against this great error which Pope Francis committed in writing, approving the norms of the Buenos Aires bishops to allowing, even in exceptional cases, but allowing nevertheless to divorce people to commit such a, an injustice against the meaning of the marriage and against the meaning of the Holy Eucharist itself. Well said. I, I thank you for your clarity. With charity, I might add. Folks, I want you to get his book, The Springtime That Never Came. We do have it on our website at vmpr.org. Uh, call us at 877-526-2151. I want to give a plug to the publisher, Sophia Press. They are a very good publisher. Anything you buy from Sophia, it'll be gold. So I want to encourage you not only to get that book, but The Catholic Mass by Bishop Snyder. This book will help you understand the beauty of the Mass. Uh, before we go to break, I just want to uh, bring your, our listeners to your attention. If you have the book, folks, page 97, uh, <clears throat> B 
Bishop Snyder uh, he mentions that there are theologians you know, who are, are suspected of questioning Orthodox teaching and that they played a significant role in the council. Uh, and I want to ask you this question on the other side of the break. How did this affect the implementation of Vatican II? I always say the spirit of Vatican II. And there was a Archbishop Rembrandt Weakland who just died, eternal rescuant unto him, O Lord, let the perpetual light shine upon him. He was one of those theologians at the council and after the council who was what we would call very progressive. I knew him personally, and we didn't uh, see eye to eye on uh, the deposit of faith. I'll just be honest with you. And so I want to ask you, Bishop Snyder, um, these theologians that uh, were playing the significant role at the council, how did this affect the implementation of Vatican II? Because so many things of Vatican II say things that aren't being implemented today or even after the council. Stay with us, family. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio with Bishop Athanasius Snyder. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Bishop Athanasius Snyder's here regarding his book, The Springtime That Never Came. I mentioned on page 97, Bishop Snyder, that you mentioned about theologians who uh, we really were suspect of, you know, questioning. We, they weren't Orthodox uh, theologians, and they played a significant role during Vatican II. And um, your comment is, how did this implement Vatican II? Well, uh, we have to to know the history also, the Good. fact. Let's hear it. Well, I would like to recommend one of the best historical analysis yes. of what happened during the council. Yes. The book of Professor Roberto de Mattei. He wrote a very important book, a history never, never wrote uh, before about Vatican II. Mm-hmm. And there he is documenting these proofs, uh, the kind of um, subversive actions of uh, modernist theologians and bishops during the council. Yes. They were organized in a kind of, of a secret organizations where they elaborated formulations for the texts and they managed so that they said we will formulate for purpose the text in an ambiguous way so that after the council we can use the council texts because it is formulated not clear mm-hmm. so it's open to both interpretations right and so they made this in in the in the in the most cases of important expressions in an ambiguous way, always uh, always leaving an open door for a liberal modernist interpretation and consequently of implementation of the council. And this happened because these theologians and bishops, they were promoted after the council to higher positions even. Unfortunately, we have also to state these facts simply. 
And then they had power in the key positions in the church, in the dioceses, and started to implement the ambiguous text in their manner. Yeah. This is um, the historical mm -hmm. tragedy of Vatican II, because uh, um, to the contrary of the other councils in history, which, which tried to formulate as clear as possible the text, Vatican II uh, uh, um, opted to adopt it, the ambiguous speech, so uh, not a clear speech. Yeah, I got it. And this, and this should never do magisterium. Yeah. Always to speak, to avoid any uh, possibility of of ambiguous interpretation then. So therefore the, the, the church teaching is therefore given by God to explain and to make uh, an interpretation of the divine revelation in a most clear manner. And this in, in the most cases in, in these difficult affirmations of the Vatican II did not. And therefore there is the door open. And therefore I think uh, the church in future should never repeat such what happened in Vatican II. Yeah, I got to it. To present to the faith uh, ambiguous affirmations. Well said. All right. And uh, on page 103, you talk about homosexuality infiltration into the seminary and refer to the book Goodbye, Good Men. Uh, I just want to add something. Father Enrique Rueda, who I knew personally, a, a Cuban priest, in 1982, published a book, The Homosexual Network in the Catholic Church. And as soon as that book came out, he was basically reprimanded by the authorities. And really, it, he was basically ruined. I mean, he, th this is what happened way before that Goodbye Good Men book. I put Goodbye Good Men on cassette tape when that came out because I wanted it to communicate to people the damage that's being done by this. And now, um, Bishop Snyder... The question is, what can we do about this problem? I mean, uh, before I answer, you answer that question. Today in Rome, some of the cardinals are going to be cardinals right here from California, San Diego. The bishop there has been very friendly in saying about homosexuality. Now he's a cardinal. His auxiliary bishop moves to take the place in Phoenix. So it seems like it's still going on. And we as lay people are asking ourselves, what can we do? What are your thoughts? Well, First, we have to, to state, again, the doctrine of the Church of divine revelation that homosexual acts are intrinsically evil. Yep. It is divine revelation, and it's against human reason. It's against common sense. And so we have to state again this, mm -hmm. and then to uh, respectfully protest uh, when we know that clerics priests or bishops are promoting homosexuality or homosexual lifestyle yes. to, uh, to protest against this. It is your duty as lay people because the church is an issue for all. It's, the church is not only some uh, issue of the, the clergy. Also the lay people are called by the Vatican too exactly to raise their voices uh, in issues which is common for the common benefit and good for the entire church. And this affects one 
homosexual bishop or priest, he, he can do a lot of damage for the souls. It is, uh, it is incredible. And we have to, to do all what we can to stop this. But so we have to, to, be, to start in the seminaries yes. to make a humanly, humanly spoken the maximum of guarantee not to allow that there will be ordained homosexual candidates for the priesthood. We have to do all what we can to avoid and to stop this infiltration in the seminaries. Yes. Even these candidates have good qualities, intellectual, even if they are, let us say, so-called pious. It is not a true piety. No. It is uh, a fake piety. Or even if they love the tradition, when they are homosexual, clear homosexual people, we have to stop them and to, to do all what we can to purify our seminaries from this virus which is in, which infiltrated in the clergy. Uh, and so we have to implore by God and pray for the sanctification of priests that God will send us good, morally healthy candidates for the priesthood. Even better to have lesser pre less number of priests, but normal, healthy, psychologically, emotionally healthy men. Mm. And with these healthy men, God can only work the graces. Grazie supponit naturam. So the grace is presupposes a, a right nature, healthy, humanly, a man. And we have not to accept to the seminary candidates with such tendencies. We have to be very strict here. It will better, I repeat once again, yeah. better to have lesser priests than doubtful candidates. Well said, you know, Bishop um, Snyder, on page 108, you, you speak about the certainty and the truthfulness, the knowledge based on the authority of God. I call that the inerrancy of Scripture, that there is no error in Scripture. But, Bishop, we have cardinals. We played it on our show last week uh, in Chicago, a bishop from uh, Germany. And he was telling this person, he said, now, Bishop, what, what do you think? I mean, can you approve sodomy? And he was saying, of course we can. Uh, we're going to do that. And I have the Pope's approval of this. And I'm thinking, he's in charge of the Senate. And, you know, it's like the, the fox is in charge of the chicken coop. And I just um, asked this question in, in page 108. Uh, you talk about this, uh, we, this, that we do have this certainty and knowledge based on the authority of God. But it, it appears now that we're really questioning God's word. Is it actually true? Or is it subjective to our interpretation as uh, people who have a fall in our human nature, and we decide what's true and what's not, and then uh, anything goes. And so when we come back from the break, I'd like to have you address that issue of uh, inerrancy of Scripture and how this is affecting the church poorly when we decide to decide on what is truth based on my experience rather than the Word of God. I want to recommend also everybody to pick up the book. I have it in my hands, The Springtime That Never Came, Bishop Snyder answers a lot of tough questions that I think a lot of people would not want to have to answer because it's difficult, especially in the times we're living in. So you can get that book by going to vmpr.org. Our call is at 
526-215. And don't forget, on the website, we have his other book, The Catholic Mass. And this is uh, Steps to Restoring the Centrality of God in the Liturgy. Uh, I've read many books on the Mass. That book was my favorite out of uh, probably 40 or 50 different books I've read explaining the Mass. Why? Because he gives the historical perspective from day one about what the Mass is and what it isn't and how to participate in Holy Mass. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll ask that question about, I call it the inerrancy of Scripture, that God's Word is true today, tomorrow, 500 years from now. It's objective truth that we're talking about, and it appears today that many people dress like Bishop Schneider, I might add. I'm sorry to have to say, Bishop, but bishops who are coming out and not giving us the authentic teachings of the Church. I, I think I'm off on the clock right now. I thought we were going to take a quick break, but um, Bishop Snyder, maybe you can touch a little bit on that, on the inerrancy of Scripture and why that is critical in our thinking and on our practice. Oh, no, we got the break. Here it comes. I knew that break was coming. Listen to Terry and Jesse on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Bishop Athanasius Snyder from Kazakhstan, halfway around the world, and he's getting up in the middle of the night, <laughs> late night, to speak with you because he has a love for your soul. Remember, canon law said it. If souls, you know, they, everything is based on the salvation of souls. And Bishop Sheen said, if souls are saved, everything is saved. If souls aren't saved, nothing is saved. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, Here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back. We've got Bishop Athanasius Snyder with us. I asked the question about the inerrancy of Scripture. Dr. Scott Hahn did a six-and-a-half-hour class, about six classes that I recorded, and it's available because I am a big believer that when people understand that the Bible is without error, understanding what the Church teaches, it's a game-changer. Bishop Snyder, on page 108, you talked about the truthfulness and knowledge based on the authority of God, but... You said this language is extremely rare now. Uh, why is that? Well, uh, the divine revelation, mm -hmm. which God gave us, he gave us through two ways, two sources. It is the, the written word mm -hmm. of God. It is the Holy Scripture. And also the, the oral word of God, the non-written word of God, which is the sacred tradition. And both uh, reveal us uh, the truth. And so what is in Scripture written so clearly that sodomy and homosexual acts are an condemned by God in abomination. It, it is in both in the Old and in the New Testament written. And so clear that whoever contradicts it is a heretic because he's contradicting the expressed, revealed word of God. And, and furthermore, the constant, uninterrupted tradition of the Church, always 2,000 years, was teaching that homosexual acts are intrinsically evil under ever circumstances. So sodomy is e evil. And therefore, uh, who commits its 
it puts himself in in the danger of the eternal condemnation. This is written in Holy Scripture, and this taught the magisterium of the church always in the same way. And therefore, if a cardinal is now saying the contrary, he is committing an heresy. Mm -hmm. De facto, maybe not formally, but de facto he is committing an heresy. He is a heretic, and therefore we have to admonish him. And the first who have to admonish a cardinal is the Pope. He has to admonish him, but he is not doing this. And this is our problem. And this is the sadness of the historical hour in which we are living. Therefore, we have to to make amendment for these horrible crimes of the bishops and cardinals who are promoting uh, sodomy, who are promoting other other crimes against the law of God, and who are, are promoting the idolatry of the anthropocentrism, the idolatry of materialism, the idolatry of this world, mm -hmm. the spirit of this world, which is against Christ. So we have to do reparation for these uh, omissions on the part of the high clergy of bishops and cardinals and respectfully and clearly admonish them and ask the Pope, please, Holy Father, admonish these cardinals who are, who is saying such things which are directly contradicting divine revelation. Well said, and I think of Our Lady of Fatima. I'm sorry. I would, I Go would ahead. quote Go ahead. also a very, uh, an important yes. quotation from the letter of the Apostle Jude. Yes. It's, it is not so often read, but the Apostle St. Jude writes in, it's only uh, the verses number four. There are no chapters in these small uh, a small letter, and there he writes that there crept in some of wrong teachers in your communities, he is writing, who are transforming the grace of God into immorality. Wow. Yes, and this is doing this cardinal who said that sodomy is okay. Yeah. We have to, to apply these words of the Apostles and Jude to him, yes, they uh, uh, infiltrated your communities. Some teachers, I repeat, who are transforming the grace of God into immorality, luxuria. It is in Latin, in the Vulgata written. It is uh, gratiam transferentes in luxuriam. It is in the Latin expression, but this means luxuria means sexual immorality. Yeah. So they are transforming the grace of God, the word of God, in transforming into a license of, of immorality. Well said. We just finished having Father Wolfgang, one of your members of your congregation here, for a three-day mission on the angels, and he was telling us uh, about making everything a sacrifice in life. In other words, re reparation. The church needs us lay people offering up our suffering and he referred to the Fatima prayer, Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I adore you profoundly. I offer you the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ present in the tabernacles of the world in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifferences for which he's offended. And through the infinite merits of his most sacred heart and immaculate heart of Mary, I beg the conversion of poor sinners. 
this is a prayer that all of us should be praying because in the church right now we have, I'll just be honest with you, a very weak, weak leadership that's leading us not to heaven, but uh, in a bad direction. So I appreciate your clarity on that point. And again, the inerrancy of Scripture, the Bible is without error. And, you know, for us to say that, you know, that, hey, that's what the Bible says, but I think I think differently, it's arrogant for us to even think like that. So that's the problem. All right, final question I have, and this is something that your book covered, but it's already been done. It regards to on page 125, you mentioned that other experts believe that women should be given more power in the church, like Archbishop Weakland wanted ordination for women, God rest his soul. Uh, there's lots of people like that, but in the church, it says in such a way that they have a right to vote in the synods. Uh, how does this fit, again, in the tradition of the church? And uh, I know I asked the question, is it possible? What already happened? This is impossible because... <laughs> but it happened. The Pope has actually done this. He's got a woman on... Because when you wrote this book, it hadn't happened. Just a couple, well, about four or five weeks ago, this has actually happened. Now, I'm just asking. I mean, I'm not in management. I'm in sales. So, But uh, I, can you give us an answer? Had this ever been done in the church? Well, we have to distinguish. Tell me. Uh, women can be... Uh, uh, be uh, a counselor, so to give an advice. Sure. Real pious women mm -hmm. uh, who are s strong in Catholic faith. Yes. For example, uh, Saint Margaret of Scotland, the yep. Queen, yep. in the 11th century. Yes. When she she was from Hungary, when she married a Scottish king, and she came there, there was a disastrous situation with the clergy and with the Scottish Church. Of, of the not discipline and the clergy life was problematic and so on. And then she um, asked the bishops to do synod of reform. And she gave very good counsels how to, to improve the church life good. with more discipline, with piety and so on. So she gave, but she did not vote in the synod. She only gave these councils, advices, a uh, holy queen, she was a woman, and also Saint Catherine of Siena, That's she gave advice to the popes, <laughs> Saint Bridget of Sweden. That's right. And so on. So these women we need, we need today uh, Saint Margaret of Scotland, we need a new Catherine of Siena, a new Bridget of Sweden, to give good counsels to the pope, to the bishops, to to establish again the purity, integrity of faith, of the liturgy, mm. of the moral life of, of the clergy, to improve the, the marriage life, the families. So this we need, the missionary zeal. And this is the task, could be the task of women in the church, Yes, but not, not to make a woman again, uh, uh, to give her administrative powers to make her a part of the ecclesiastic clerical nomenclatura. Yeah. This is not worthy for a woman. She, this is not her place. And she, uh, she has to give her counsels and to be the witness in the family. Yes. There is, there, there is her priesthood, which she is exercising as a lay, Woman in the family. That's yeah. the first place of the woman. 
in her maternity, Beautiful. motherhood. And then the virgin, the virgins in the church, the, the consecrated virgins and the consecrated widows, they are giving a good example in the church. And so together, the married women, the mothers of family and the spiritual mothers, the consecrated virgins, the sisters and the widows, they are building up the church and we need them. And they are, thanks be to God, in our day, we have such precious women in the church who are uh, edifying the church with their life, with their teaching, with their fidelity to the Catholic faith. And this is the true promotion of the women in, in the church. Amen. I want to give a plug to you and your website. Now, we have Bishop Snyder, or Bishop, Bishop Joseph Strickland, once a week teaching the Catholic faith with his catechism and the uh, tweets that he sends out. I know you also have a website where you're teaching the fundamentals of the faith. Can you share that with our listeners, please? Yes, every um, month on the 13th, there is a live catechesis mm-hmm. on uh, the site gloriadei.io. Mm-hmm. And the, in the other months, I'm answering uh, questions also. Good. So this is a possibility to follow my catechesis also. Mm-hmm. Before we have an ask, ask you to give us your blessing, I just want to ask if you could encourage family life today with, the, well, just, I guess we could, I got the music coming on. Why don't you give us your, your final, your blessing, if you could, bishops, please. Benedicto Dei Omnipotentis, Patris, Petilii, et Spiritus Sancti, Dependentis Amen. Bishop Snyder's book, The Springtime That Never Came, go to vmpr.org or call us at 877-526-2151. His other books on our website is called The Catholic Mass, Steps to Restoring the Centrality of God in the Liturgy. Remember what state we should be living in, the state of grace. And remember what Our Lady of Fatima said, souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. Will you make those sacrifices? I'm going to. I hope you will, too. May God richly bless you. And Bishop Snyder, thanks for taking the time to share the good news with our listeners. And we will continue to pray for your work in uh, Asia and all over the world. Thanks so much again. God love you. Thank you. Thank you.